Episode 2 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 1.1, Mormon's Metaphor. Welcome to War in the Book of Mormon. I am Brian Steed, and in this podcast, we will introduce Mormon's Metaphor, the context in which all references to war fit within the Book of Mormon. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, let us begin. This, like the next several episodes, is introductory in that there is a lot of material that sets the stage for future episodes. In this episode, we are beginning with an introduction to Mormon, though we will later have an entire episode on his life and personal history. This episode addresses his editorial focus. Mormon was a man who lived from about 312 to 400 AD. He was a descendant of the prophet Nephi, from whom the subsequent writers in the Book of Mormon named people Nephites. Mormon was a disciple of Jesus Christ, charged by the Lord with a task that he explained in Mormon chapter 3, verses 20 to 22, as, and I quote, And these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me. Therefore I write unto you all, and for this cause I write unto you, that ye may know that ye must all stand before this judgment seat of Christ. Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam, and ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil, and also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you, and also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witness besides him whom they saw and heard, that Jesus, whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To accomplish this task, the young Nephite military commander chose war and, more broadly, armed conflict as his way of teaching his readers the stories which Mormon wove together to make a common and vibrant tapestry are all drawn from the thread of armed conflict. Once you know Mormon's history, it is obvious why he would choose such a topic for his primary material. He served as a military commander for anywhere from 46 to 61 years. There's a reason for that discrepancy, and we'll talk about that when we go over his biography. He was extremely experienced in the art and science of conflict. He studied those practitioners of the art in his cultural and ethnic past, and he clearly saw in this topic the opportunity to create the metaphor necessary to help his readers accomplish the vision and purpose laid out for him through his calling from the Lord. To best understand Mormon's message, or rather, the best way to see and appreciate the tapestry is to have the greatest understanding of the material used to weave it. The details that are discussed in the episodes to follow seek that end, the illumination of the details of Mormon's thread of conflict. 
In understanding those details, the listener will be empowered to draw more powerful personal lessons from a book of Holy Scripture. The Book of Mormon is a book of Scripture that appears to be remarkably devoid of parable and simile. The book was compiled by a prophet who lived in the 4th century AD and was contemporary with a Mediterranean world immersed in the New Testament and the parables of Jesus Christ. Mormon also had the teachings of Jesus Christ that he gave among the Nephites, where Jesus followed much of the New Testament-related teaching style. Yet, as one reads the Book of Mormon, one struggles to find any similar teaching styles. The most commonly referred to parables, allegories, or metaphors in the Book of Mormon are not from Mormon directly, but come as quotes of other prophets. The allegory of the olive tree from Zenos in Jacob chapter 7 is one example or the metaphor of faith and a seed from Alma in the book of Alma chapter 32 is another. Is the book of Mormon devoid of metaphor? Absolutely not. Mormon provided one of the most comprehensive and impressive metaphors in the entire scriptural canon. His was a metaphor of conflict. This metaphor runs throughout the book of Mormon from the first story of Nephi and Laban to the final battle at the hill Cumorah. Mormon was a military general, and he lived and functioned for the majority of his adult life in a world of conflict actions and images. I often say that if Mormon had been a plumber with 46 years of experience, he probably would have given us a plumbing metaphor. But because he was a military professional, we get a military metaphor. The understanding of Mormon's metaphor answers the question, why is so much of the Book of Mormon focused on conflicts and military events? I think there is value in analyzing this question. In some circles, Mormon is characterized as a historian and the Book of Mormon as a historical record. To illustrate the Book of Mormon as a history, I ask you to imagine two columns. One represents time for the Book of Mormon, and the other represents chapters in the Book of Mormon, excluding the Book of Ether. For example, the Book of First Nephi accounts for about 1% of the timeline, but it also accounts for 10% of the chapters. A second example comes from the combined books of Second Nephi and Third Nephi which each represent about 4% of the timeline, or a combined 8%. Yet the two books represent about 29% of the chapters in the Book of Mormon. When you think about why that might be, I ask that you consider the majority of the content of those books. They include primarily the teachings of Jesus Christ in 3 Nephi, and the writings of Isaiah in 2 Nephi the instructions from the Lord, and the revelations from the Lord's most emphasized prophet. Remember that Jesus said, Isaiah's words are great, and he commanded people on multiple occasions to read Isaiah's words. Kind of makes sense that Isaiah gets a lot of emphasis. Another example is that the books of Omni and 4th Nephi are each one chapter, or a combined 1% of the Book of Mormon whereas 
the period covered by the two books is 50% of the timeline. Think about that. 50% in just two chapters. Why might that be? I will suggest that a reason is related to Mormon's emphasis on unity. Omni and Fourth Nephi tell the reader about periods of disunity and collapse, and a period of perfect unity followed by significant disunity and fragmentation, respectively. I think that Mormon didn't feel that his readers needed to know how to be disunified. Therefore, he covers these periods as quickly as possible. These reasons are speculative and my suppositions, but the numbers are correct. The Book of Alma is also important. It is the longest book and represents about 28% of the total record. However, it only covers about 4% of the timeline. In many ways, Alma is two books. In the first part, Mormon gives us a detailed account of the ideal warrior leader, Alma, and the ideal form of engagement, missionaries. We are told of Alma's service to state, the people, and God. We are also given details of his instruction and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the atonement, resurrection, and judgment. We are shown how missionary efforts to invite people to know Christ changes lives and societies. It is powerful. In the second part, we receive a detailed illumination of Mormon's metaphor through the Amalekiahite War and other lesser wars and battles. I am suggesting to listeners that these two seemingly different parts are really the same discussion. How to realize Mormon's thesis of standing clean and confident before the judgment bar of Jesus Christ. In this discussion, in the Book of Alma, Mormon provides a series of case studies bunched into three main topic areas, Alma and his experiences and teachings, missionaries, and armed conflict. These case studies express how one comes to know the truths of God, personal sacrifice, service, prayer, study, and fasting, and how the struggle to stand clean and confident metaphorically plays out. The Book of Alma is one book, one comprehensive message from beginning to end. It consists of the following case studies. Alma as chief judge and warrior leader. Alma as high priest and minister to the faithful and unfaithful. Missionaries as the ideal form of engagement. The ideal covenant keepers. Alma and his companions as missionaries to the Zoramites. Alma as patriarch and testator of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Moroni as the ideal of preparation, covenants, and unity. The ideal proclamation of belief. Amalekiah as a representative character of Satan. The value of those who prepare keep covenants, and maintain unity. When I write a book, I spend a lot of time on how the book is structured, what gets emphasized, and why it does. I expect that Mormon did too. 
I am suggesting that the structure of the Book of Mormon in general, and in this case the structure of the Book of Alma in specific, is a point for consideration and a part of Mormon's instruction. This is the Book of Mormon. It is not comprehensive history, though it contains many wonderful historical insights, facts, statements, and lessons. Mormon used the history of the Nephite civilization in such a way as to express his inspired thesis. Specific to that history, he used armed conflict and war as his primary material. He was painting a picture for his future readers of what we needed to do. Mormon expressed in his thesis why he wrote the record. He wanted to demonstrate for his readers how we could stand faithful at the judgment seat of Christ. To use his metaphor, he wanted to show how we could each be soldiers of Christ and how, by so doing, we could wage a battle that would allow us to stand firm, faithful, and clean as we offered our final report to our Lord and Savior. To teach this, he used images, stories, and details of those Nephite and Lamanite soldiers of Christ who fought on temporal and spiritual battlefields. These stories and historical accounts are all present to serve a fundamental purpose of guiding the readers to achieve this stated goal and thesis. In sharing this metaphor, Mormon used a tremendous amount of detail. Those details matter. To understand Mormon's metaphor fully and to grasp the dynamic, deep, and rich lessons that he teaches, it is important to understand those details. There are details of individual personalities, of personal, collective, and battlefield preparation, of the battles themselves, and of stratagems at all levels of strategy. There is no trivia in the Book of Mormon. The record is a condensed version of hundreds of years of history, and within the record, everything serves a purpose. Part of the challenge for the reader is to find that purpose through study and prayer. It is useful to come back again and again to Mormon's purpose of writing, for us to be prepared to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The battles in the Book of Mormon are the metaphor for helping us achieve this end. The images are consistently of soldiers of Christ battling warriors and robbers of Satan. In the episodes and parts that follow, the details of Mormon's metaphor will be opened and laid before the listener so that they can be seen in such a way as to allow for personal application and benefit. Mormon did not write a military history, though he used military topics in his narrative. Mormon did write within an existing political, military, and historical environment. I want to make four points here. One, the better one understands the details stated and implied in the Book of Mormon, then the better one can draw personal lessons from that record. Two, details matter. I know that I've said that before, but I want to beat this point hard. There is no trivia in the Book of Mormon. Mormon did not include details of armed conflict simply on a whim or out of some personal interest in the topic. The details in the record are there for a purpose. 
The journey to discover that purpose is part of what draws the Holy Ghost into our study and opens our minds to the intent of the record. 3. I will provide my personal lessons from the detail only as a starting point. This is a personal process, and I invite you to seek to know what these things mean for you through your own effort. 4. I want to provide the most comprehensive record of the military history possible. Like Mormon's writing, it is important to explain the limitations and reserved focus of what I am doing, rather than attempt to present it as something it is not. This podcast is not designed to be a scholarly work on archaeology or geography. The audience is those who read and desire to understand better the reasons why military and armed conflict aspects are so richly described within the pages of the Book of Mormon. I sincerely hope that others will also find value here, but it is the average reader of the Book of Mormon to whom I am speaking. This is also not a technical military history. There is not sufficient information within the pages of the Book of Mormon to provide a detailed military history. I will offer many inferences and suppositions within this episode and following episodes so that I can make a continuous and contiguous story and present an understanding of the challenges of armed conflict throughout the Book of Mormon. That said, I think these episodes also have some tremendous information on the military aspects of the Nephites in general and especially on the era of Captain Moroni. There are few battles as extensively detailed in in antiquity as the Battle of Manti in the Book of Alma. The discussion on the preparations and on the tactics or stratagems used through all phases of the battle is among the most extensive from any extant historical record of the first century BC. We also have tremendous detail of Captain Moroni's preparations for the campaigns waged by Amalekiah against the Nephites. The lessons that are available from this single battle and the associated larger war are valuable to those who study military history as well as to those who study the Book of Mormon for spiritual purposes only. Why a podcast about armed conflict in the Book of Mormon? It may seem odd to ask this question midway through the second episode in a series on war in the Book of Mormon, but I think discussing the answer is important. Why does there need to be a discussion about armed conflict? Is this topic that important? The answer to the second question is a resounding yes. Given the emphasis on the topic of armed conflict in the Book of Mormon, it makes sense that there is some discussion to explain the concept in the fullest manner possible. A simple word count from the Book of Mormon text reveals the number of uses of the following words fight, battle, sword, war, charity, and love. Fight 71 times, battle 136 times, sword 156 times, war 194 times, charity 27 times, and love 74 times. This is not a statement that war is more important than love or charity, 
as it is clear from the text that none of the ancient prophets ever thought or taught so. Rather, this is to identify the recurrence of these words and the importance of the concepts they support in the instructional method used by Mormon. As a reader peruses chapter headings, one can note the number of chapters where conflict is a major or significant topic. I believe it is important to note the changes in context as a reader transitions from the small plates of Nephi to the large plates of Nephi. I refer you to the Book of Mormon introductory material for a full explanation on what those terms mean. In brief, the small plates are the first six books from 1st Nephi through Omni, and the large plates are the last nine books, counting Ether. There are 65 chapters in the small plates, and two of them address conflict in a significant way, though there are mentions of conflict in several others. There are 173 chapters in the large plates, and 61 of those chapters discuss conflict, with others having references. Nephi and Jacob are the primary engravers of the small plates, and Mormon, along with Moroni, the, the primary engravers of the large plates. Clearly, this represents a shift in emphasis. Now, this emphasis is a specific and not a historical one. This is not a criticism of Mormon's writing, but to emphasize his choice of topics. When viewed through a simple historical timeline that lays out the periods of armed conflict versus peace, it is clear that there are more years in the Book of Mormon narrative that involve peace than war. The Nephites and Lamanites were not constantly at war, nor were they at war a majority of the time. Yet Mormon chose to emphasize war in his recounting of their history. Suffice it to say that Mormon did not relate war out of historical misrepresentation, but through a purposeful and guided methodology for communicating to the readers of his work the reasons for the dichotomy he posed in the following quote from Alma chapter 62, verses 39 to 41. And I'll jump in at the middle. Quote, and thus they had wars and bloodsheds and famine and affliction for the space of many years. And there had been murders and contentions and dissensions and all manner of iniquity among the people of, the, of Nephi. Nevertheless, for the righteous sake, yea, because of the prayers of the righteous, they were spared. But behold, because of the exceedingly great length of the war, between the Nephites and the Lamanites, many had become hardened, and many were softened because of their afflictions, insomuch that they did humble themselves before God, even in the depth of humility. Close quote. This statement comes at the end of the 14-year Amalekiahite War. Mormon points out what observers of war regularly see. War is a divider, a crucible. It makes you more of who you are, or who you are trying to be. It gave the people in the Book of Mormon record great reason to serve and sacrifice, and great reason to sin and suppress. Mormon wanted to explain why some people turned toward the doctrine of Christ during adversity, and what blessings those who do can enjoy, and why some people turn away from the doctrine of Christ, and what challenges those people face. 
As I have already noted, Mormon did not cover every portion of his people's history equally. In fact, he specifically emphasized certain portions of the history over others. Details matter. Every detail and story should cause one to ask the question, why? I want to address a couple of examples of why that will be detailed in later episodes. Why did Mormon give such great detail about the personal character of both Moroni and Amalekiah? Amalekiah was not the biggest villain in Nephite history. He did not cause the most deaths, the greatest loss of land, or the most political turbulence. Moroni served a long time and fought in many battles, but he did not serve the longest, fight in the most battles, lead the largest Nephite armies, nor did he lead in the greatest Nephite victories. A specific example of what I'm talking about comes from the difference between two battles that I label the Tremendous Battle of the Wilderness from Alma, chapter 28, verses 1 through 3, and the First Battle of Manti from Alma, chapter 43, verse 3, all the way through Alma, chapter 44, verse 23. I will give a bunch of numbers to explain the difference in perspective. Some of these numbers are suppositions, and some are based off the record itself. In a later episode, I will explain how I come up with the numbers that I do, but for now, I ask you to bear with me. First, let's talk about the tremendous battle of the wilderness. This is a battle that included tens of thousands of Lamanites and thousands of Nephites killed. Think about this. That reflects a massive number of losses for what was a pre-industrial society. The battle was a result of frustration by the Lamanites over people who had been converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and who were fleeing Lamanite lands to live with the Nephites. Before this battle, most of the battles and wars between Nephites and Lamanites occurred in open fields, and the tactics and stratagems were relatively simple, and Lamanite armies were led by Lamanite commanders. After this battle, Battles and wars focused on attacking and defending cities. When not by a city, there, were, there was an increased use of deception. Armor and fortifications were more important, and Lamanite armies were led by Nephite dissenters. In short, warfare changed. Why? I suggest that this was because of the massive losses from the battle itself. If tens of thousands of Lamanites died, then this probably means that at least that many were wounded. The Nephites lost fewer dead, and presumably the same for wounded, by about a factor of ten. We are told of the casualties in the record. Based on those casualty numbers, we may safely assume armies as big as 30,000 at the lowest end, and prob probably, or possibly, in the neighborhood of 50,000 or more maybe as many as 160,000 fighters, warriors, and soldiers collided in the tremendous battle of the wilderness, and 35,000 of them perished. These were large numbers, possibly societally changing numbers, definitely warfare-changing numbers. The Battle of Manti, on the other hand, occurred at the extreme southern edge of the Nephite lands. It was fought in the vicinity of, of a small town or village, 
and cost significantly fewer lives for both sides, as the armies were significantly smaller. Possibly, again, maybe, by as much as a factor of ten. The numbers for this battle are supposed, as the record provides few details on the size of the armies or the casualties. In this case, the numbers might be in the neighborhood of 13 to 18,000 involved, and the losses between two and maybe as high as 8,000. What is fascinating in the comparison is that we have a large and transformative battle and a relatively small and less important battle. The first is discussed in three verses and using 143 words. The second and much less important battle is discussed using 75 verses and 3,456 words. Both battles will be discussed in much greater detail in later episodes. The most important point is that one was a battle featuring tens of thousands of warriors on both sides and tens of thousands of casualties, and the outcome of the battle was a transformation of both the Nephite and Lamanite ways of war. The other was a much smaller battle that had a much smaller societal impact. Yet Mormon wrote extensively about the smaller, less geopolitically transformative battle and almost nothing about the other. Again, why? An answer for the question is that Mormon used armed conflict to teach his readers. But what was he trying to teach? Whether through armed conflict the teachings of Alma or other prophets, the stories of missionary work, or the teachings found in the small plates of Nephi, Mormon focused on three primary points of emphasis, unity, covenants, and preparation. Each of these builds on the latter. I introduced these points in the previous episode, but they are worth reiterating here. Preparation serves as a primary building point this is how the great commanders in the Book of Mormon built success. This is especially true of Moroni. It is through making and honoring covenants that people draw closer to Christ. Mormon repeatedly emphasized the power of covenants and oaths to demonstrate the power available through them. Honoring our covenants to each other and to God brings us closer and ultimately unifies us with others. This unity is the ideal of behavior. In many ways, the unity cycle espoused by Mormon is at the heart of his record and teaching. Mormon demonstrated through his discussion of cause and effect, action and consequence, what befell people and societies when they had contention, dissension, and disunity. The direct link between dissension and conflict is irrefutable. I discussed and explained the unity cycle in episode 1. Rather than Mormon teaching a negative warning of danger, of contention, and dissension, he taught the power and blessings that come from unity. My contention, ironically worded, is that the Battle of Manti is the single most detailed expression of these three points, and that the tremendous battle of the wilderness was not. Because of this, Mormon explained in detail an insignificant battle, historically speaking, that was critical to his instruction rather than a historically important battle that was not. I want to conclude this episode 
with a couple of points on my thinking so that future discussions are clearer. As stated, I am not providing a treatise on ancient American geography or archaeological sites. I am not using a map from actual terrain. The graphic representations that I use are based off relative associations that are provided from the pages of the Book of Mormon, and, for the sake of what I am sharing here, there is no need for the events to have happened in a specific location. My graphic representations are based off supposition. I leave the debate on where the Book of Mormon events actually happened for others. Like the geographic comments, the references to army sizes and casualties are done to provide a general conceptualization. The primary intent is to assist listeners to grasp the scale of the armies involved in each of the battles. Within the pages of the Book of Mormon, there is little information on army size or casualty figures, though there are some instances where specific numbers are given. I will use these specific references to infer or suppose the army size and casualty figures in other battles based, additionally, on the more general qualitative statements about army size. In general, the Nephite army is smaller and the Lamanite army is larger, but that is not always the case. In the use of armed conflict to teach his readers, Mormon presented some people, battles, and events as his primary examples of his major points. Each of these received much greater treatment in the Book of Mormon in terms of words dedicated. I refer to each of these as the exemplars, as they serve as the ideal example of a particular doctrinal tenet or teaching. The following are the exemplars for, and their associated points. Ammon is the exemplar of technical conflict and the blessings of a covenant keeper. Missionaries are the exemplars of the ideal form of engagement. Alma is the exemplar of the ideal warrior leader. Moroni is the exemplar of the soldier of Christ. Amalekiah is the exemplar of the Satan archetype. The Battle of Manti is the exemplar of the battle narrative and Mormon's metaphor of preparation, covenants, and unity. The 2,000 stripling warriors are the exemplars of covenant keepers. The Gadianton robbers are the exemplars of disunity and covenant breaking. And the Battle of the Consolidated Settlement is the exemplar of unity. Each of these exemplars is discussed in greater detail in the episodes to follow, and typically have at least one episode entirely dedicated to illuminating its or their details. Though many other battles, people, and wars will be discussed, these serve as the examples in which Mormon placed the greatest emphasis. As I conclude this episode, I want to address the question of why is armed conflict such a compelling metaphor in Scripture in general and the Book of Mormon specifically. In the description of the council conducted before the creation of the world, in the revelation of St. John the Divine, chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, 
John described the contention of wills as a war in heaven. Before the beginning of the world, there was war. Dissension, contention, and armed conflict are a consistent part of the scriptural narrative. Even when physical weapons are not emphasized, the metaphor is used to connote complete investment of effort in the struggle. In Mormon's narrative, he used armed conflict to convey a series of teachings. One of the most important among these is that armed conflict is a crucible for the will and spiritual character of the children of God. As all extremely challenging events, the character is weighed in the balance and tested in the heat of the furnace to mix several scriptural metaphors from the Old Testament book of Daniel. Armed conflict does not just test the character of individuals, but also of communities, states, societies, and religions. In antiquity, armed conflict was often viewed as the ultimate test of a people's collective validity and deity, whose god or way of life was stronger. This argument came to the fore in the Battle of Manti, again from Alma 43 and 44, between Moroni and Zarahemna. Moroni also used this argument in an epistle to Amaron in Alma chapter 54, as he requested an exchange of prisoners. Mormon went beyond the simplistic discussion of which God or faith or lifestyle was better to emphasize that victory in armed conflict is not the definitive answer on the rightness of a belief system. When the community of saints living in the city of Helam was confronted by a force of Lamanites and former priests of Noah in Mosiah chapters 23 and 24, they were immediately subjugated through intimidation. Mormon taught us that this failure in the armed conflict test was not a failure in the wider struggle toward personal and collective sanctification. This great warrior taught us through these armed conflict events something that no other military history writer of antiquity would say. Victory in battle is not the determinant of a successful way of life, personally or collectively. He goes on through the final struggle, which he personally witnessed, to emphasize that victory in battle or war does not commend one to God, nor does victory in battle justify violating the will of God. He used the descriptions and events occurring on the physical battlefield to better define and assist his readers in understanding the greater and less tangible battlefields upon which we all struggle in order to help us to appreciate the crucibles of experience through which we are all passing or all must pass. This man, with all of his unique and spiritually inspired insights, provided us with the greatest scriptural metaphor stretching from the beginning to the end of his work. This metaphor uses the conflict of Nephites and Lamanites to teach each of us today how to deal with the spiritual conflict that we must all fight every day so that we can return to live with Christ 
and our eternal Father. It also assists those who live in a world filled with the images and even the personal experiences of conflict and violence to better deal with the trauma and guide our lives through the negative experiences and influences of such an existence. Finally, this metaphor also teaches us how to better fight the robbers who threaten our spiritual and physical lives so that we can achieve peace and prosperity. It is this great and powerful metaphor that this podcast investigates over the succeeding episodes. Until next time.